Welcome to TRS, Your Retirement in Focus. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have a brand new segment that we are adding called Get Financially Fit with Dale Alexander. Dale, you're with Alexander and Company, is that correct? That's right. Wow. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. You know, folks, Dale will be stopping by periodically to give great tips on how to better prepare yourselves for a financially secure retirement. Welcome back, Dale. Appreciate it. Glad What's, to have you. This is going to be fun. It sure is. What's new since we last spoke? Actually, a lot. Um, first of all, the kids are doing well. They're out for summer break, so they're all home and doing doing super. But the biggest thing in my life is I've always wanted to write a book. I've always wanted to be an author. And so I've studied money kind of all of my career, even in starting in college. And uh, finished my first book. comes out, actually, uh, this past Saturday. So pretty excited about that. Congratulations. What's Thank the you. title of the book? It's great. I appreciate that. It's called The Talk About Money, A Young Adult's Guide to the One Decision That Changes Everything. Wow. I love it. And I've been going all over high schools and universities and kind of the South, talking to high school seniors and really all classes. So Excellent. very excited about it. Thank you for asking. Excellent. So what would you like to share with us today, Dale? We're going to be focusing this week on working after retirement or working in retirement. To be honest with you, in my opinion, I never thought I would think the two would go together. I'm thinking about me when I retire. I don't plan on doing any working, to be honest with you. Be careful what you say, right? <laughs> be careful. No, think about it. How many people, you work all your life and you, you say, I just can't wait till that day. I True. get my gold watch and I'm out of here. I think your dad worked for a company 42 years. Sure and did. so. And you think, that's going to be it. And it's going to be the greatest thing in the world. And I'll never do another thing. I'll never have another obligation. And I'll just wake up every day when I want to. And be careful now. And we're yeah. going to talk about why that may change. Your plans may change. Well, I, I can actually attest to that because you brought up my dad. And, and it's amazing. He, he worked for one company 42 years. Mm. Went to his retirement. I, I celebrated with him. And I said, wow. Pop, what you going to do now that you're retired? And he said, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. So about two months into his retirement, all of a sudden, he's he's got small appliance repair. He's doing car repairs, detail. He's starting lawn care business. That's like, you are doing more work now than mm. when you were working. Why is that? He said, well, I, I just kind of got bored. So Isn't that amazing? He, after 42 years of getting up at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning, driving trucks across the country, all of a sudden, he's real busy now with every kind of small project and job imaginable. But I don't see my retirement future being that way. You know, it's hard to say. People say, there's no way I'm going to do that. But there's a lot of reasons that that may change. I don't know about, at least from a male perspective, I think about some of my friends. They're so wrapped up in what they do with work. I mean, that's kind of their identity. And when you do that for so many years, you may not realize that is a big part of you. And you wake up, and it's kind of that whole life and purpose and meaning, right? I mean, so many people... You say, I'm not going to do anything, but after, and, and your dad, he lasted two months. Exactly. I mean, I know people that don't last two weeks oh before they, you know, I got to go back and start doing something. I mean, they're going to go crazy. Mm -hmm. So there's something in that maybe, maybe there's purpose, maybe there's meaning, maybe there's busyness, maybe there's connection. There's a lot sure. of reasons. And I think we're going to talk about that, of why somebody would do that. Mm -hmm. A lot of, a lot of uh, good advantages and benefits of doing it. Well, you know, since people are living longer in their retirements, some may have to consider stretching out their investment income for 30 years or more. Right. What should members do to ensure that they'll have enough in their retirement? This is fantastic. I'm glad you brought this up. And it's a mistake that many people make. And 
Let me start by saying, making this, this quote I heard once. More money was lost remembering the Depression than was lost in the Depression. Mm. Now, here's what that means is when we don't understand something, we're naturally afraid of it. For example, the stock market and investing. And if I asked you, the stock market risky? Most everyone would say that it's risky. Sure. Well, it's not. It's, it, it is and it's not. It's actually a trick question. It's both risky and safe. It depends on time perspective. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about a long time perspective, by far, it's the safer place to have some of your money. If you're talking about a short term, year to year, inside five years, it could be a risky place. You just mm-hmm. have to look historically and then look at what you want those funds to do for you in your investment portfolio and in your future. But when you look at retirees, and certainly in education, where you could be coming out in your early to mid-50s, I mean, mm-hmm. literally you could, with a great retirement plan, you could literally have 30 years, am I right? Yeah. 30 Easily. years of funds that are needed to live on. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about this in the future, and I don't want to kind of blow this concept up, but if you went back to 1926 when they started keeping records of the stock market and put a dollar in the stock market, put a dollar in the bank, Mm -hmm. or put it in your mattress, today that $1 in the stock market, as measured by the S&P 500, would be worth $56,000. $56,000. Put it in the bank, it's $22 on the same scale. Wow. And if you just put it in a jar, it would have to be worth at least $16 because of inflation, the rising Mm -hmm. cost of goods. So your money has to outpace inflation and taxes. If it doesn't, it's slowly being eaten away. And when people just keep their money in very safe, fixed type accounts, Mm -hmm. you don't get that compound growth of another literally lifetime of investing. Sure. Sure. I mean, if you've been investing, think about that, all your career and how long that seems to have been. You've got that potentially in the future. I mean, I hope you do. Yes. That entire length of time. And so the reason most people wouldn't do that is they're fearful of any type of investment that's close to the stock market. Mm-hmm. And let's just say the stock market just means that it is investing your money in companies and the future growth of companies, right? Okay, yeah. So my point to people would be find an advisor. And most of those people that got scared of the market and never get in it again mm-hmm. were doing, had maybe too much money or were too risky for what they ever should have been doing. I would back up and find an advisor that can help you figure out what is your area of comfort because you can be very conservative investing money in stocks like mm-hmm. Georgia Power and Coca-Cola, very conservative type companies. Mm-hmm. Or you could do Bitcoin and crypto and very aggressive type. Wow. Everything in between. So find an advisor. Find out where you're comfortable, mm-hmm. what the money is needed for. But a portion of your money should always have a place in the stock market. Always. Wow. is a fine line, I imagine, between being overly aggressive in your investing and not aggressive enough. There's risk either way. And you even explained something about a stairway. If you could rehash that with us, I think that'd be great. So this is a great point is when I'm talking to kids and the talk about money, I ask them, is the stock market risk? And most all of them, yes, because that's just what they've heard their parents say. 
But if you think of the stock market, I want you, when I said put that $1 in 1926, why that? Because that's when they started keeping good records of the stock market. Mm -hmm. But if you put a dollar back then and you look at it today and it's $56,000 versus 22, putting it in a bank. But that trajectory, if you think about what that graph would look like going from one to $56,000 on a relative graph, mm -hmm. that upslope, that direction looks like a staircase. Imagine a staircase, the angle of a staircase. Now, in that staircase, there's a lot of ups and downs, mm -hmm. a lot of ups and downs. Sure. Every year is a little up, a little down, a little up, a little down. In fact, statistically, it's up two out of every three years. That's pretty And when good. it's up, it's up quite a bit. But it's down, too. And it's up every now, every, you know, up and down, up and down, up and down. But on the trajectory of that staircase. So I always like to say the stock market is like yo-yoing going up a flight of stairs. Imagine if you're a yo-yoing. The yo-yo, correct? it's going up and down and up and down and up and down, correct? Absolutely. No doubt. Yes. Step to step, it's going up and down and up and down. But floor to floor, that floor, the trajectory, think of the trajectory of that floor. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of steps in that floor. So it's up and down, up and down, up and down a lot, but going up that staircase to the floor. Mm -hmm. Right? Steady, yeah. And if you went back and overlaid the worst events in world history, the stock market, the Great Depression, World War II, JFK assassination, the, you know, the Gulf War, COVID-19 even, sure. and you look at that, those events barely register on the trajectory and the history of the stock market. Wow. So when people say the stock market is risky, it depends on what time perspective. And I always laugh at the kids and go, next time you're at a party and you hear your parents over there talking about, well, that stock market's risky, walk over there and go, excuse me, adults in the room, are you talking about <laughs> steps or floors? <laughs> Wait, what? Step to step it is, floor to floor it's not. Understood. Great example. But when we don't understand that, Everett, what do we do? You go back to more money is lost remembering the depression than was lost in it. When we don't understand that, which most people don't, mm -hmm. we stay away from things. We put it in a, as investment guru Leon Howard said, we put it in a too hard box mm. and we don't do things. And he says, what I love about investing is it's not an IQ sport at all. Wow, yeah. It's just a look at statistics and get somebody that understands what your goals are. But this is a huge mistake that people make not having a portion, a portion of their proceeds that play a part in the stock market, certainly in America, because that's what drives the world. Understood. And when you have one of the greatest retirement plans in the nation that is basically a fixed part of your portfolio. Mm -hmm. The majority that you've saved and invested should not also be in fixed-type investments. I mean, of anybody that has the ability to take a little more risk, appropriate for whatever your risk tolerance is, uh -huh. if anybody has the ability to do that, it's if you retired with this retirement system, period. Well, folks, as you can see, this is the kind of stuff that Dale's going to be bringing to the table when he stops in periodically. and. I'd pay good money for it. And anybody who knows me know I'm a cheapskate. I don't spend money on anything. Uh, I'm actually a golfer sometimes on the weekend, and I hate to lose a ball, especially if I pay for it. But I'm so cheap, 
I won't even let my playing partners lose a ball. I'm looking for That's everybody. Good. So, That's uh, good. so as you can see, this is the kind of information and feedback we're going to be getting for Dale, and we welcome you to send in questions and comments and other things that he may be able to make some comments on for you. But Dale, before you go, are there any final thoughts you'd like to leave with us today, and and share some information about how our listeners can contact you? I know you have a book that's just come out, yeah. and all sorts of good things. Share that with us before you leave today. Well, first of all, I just just so honored that y'all. Oh, oh no, crazy. no, we're honored. I hate to cut you. No, we. It, the honor is all ours. No so doubt. the book, the book. If you have, uh, let me say this: if you have a young adult in your life that is graduating or in high school or certainly college and about to get that first job or young, and you want them to have kind of financial and personal guidance and wisdom of how to start off well and end well and be one of the wealthiest and most giving. This is important. People in the world. Mm-hmm. It's the talkaboutmoney.com, and everything's there. The book's there. You can watch. You can watch the lesson and all that. So that's that. Second, I just appreciate y'all for this. But some parting thoughts. I would say, never feel that you are a failure. If you have worked all of your life, and you leave, and you think you need to go back into work, okay. never feel like that's a failure. Because what makes you happy? And what gives you peace and what lets you wake up and feel good about life and Mm -hmm. good about you and good about what you're contributing? You don't have to answer for anybody on that. Wow. Right? Yeah. And whatever your faith is, you and maybe your spouse and your maker. but, Mm -hmm. But you don't have to answer for anybody. But whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you fulfilled and, and content and at peace, that's that's what matters here. But don't feel like you've not done something right, because this is not just about financial decisions. There's a lot of things, as we've discussed. But you do what makes you happy and where you feel you're led to go serve and give and contribute, and because there lots of people have different reasons. And some people may beat themselves up about that, and I would just want to say, don't do that, because... Okay. There are great many other reasons why people do that, but I would just say whatever makes you feel good about your life, you've, you've worked a lot of years. Your dad worked 42 years for community coffee, getting people up in the morning with that mm-hmm. caffeine, and uh, <laughs> he just felt he wanted to keep contributing, and uh, that's probably what's got him so young in his mind and spirit and health, And uh, but I just appreciate that story you told, but I want to leave people with that. You're Still a success, whatever you choose to do. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have him, Dale Alexander. And stand by, folks, and stay tuned. We're going to have an interview coming up with Christy Gray from the Retirement Services Division here at TRS. Hello, this is Winston Buckley, Director of Communications and Outreach here at TRS. And I want to let you know about a couple of exciting events we have coming up. Are you already a TRS retiree and want information that may be helpful to you? Well, you might want to check out our post-retirement seminar on June 4th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Tattahoochee Technical College. We'll be giving an update on the TRS system and have subject matter experts speak on elder care law and estate planning. On July 16, 2022, we will be hosting a mid-career seminar for those of you that are in the midpoints of your career and want to better prepare for your retirement. This event will be held at the Gwinnett County Public Schools Instructional Support Center from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Topics covered will be your TRS benefit, risk management, insurance, and financial literacy. Both of these events are restricted to TRS members and space is extremely limited. 
Be sure to go to www.trsga.com, log into your account, and register today. Joining me today is Christy Gray, the Operations Manager for the Working After Retirement Section of the Retirement Services Division at TRS. Christy, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing much better today than I was on yesterday, so no complaints on my end. Great. All right, let's just jump right into it. So what does the Working After Retirement Department of TRS actually do, and what are the functions of that area? Well, the Working After Retirement section actually does a variety of different things, but it's mostly all related to employment of retirees for the most part. We analyze and evaluate and process approvals or denials for employment for our TRS retirees based on Georgia law, um, TRS policies and procedures, and that goes through a range of different types of things, including employment for service, disability retirees, which may also tear down into part-time employment, full-time employment, contractual or temporary employment. And um, we also perform audits on individual accounts when it comes to employment, as well as we have performed some system audits as well. We will process suspensions and terminations of retirement benefits, and we can we will take people off of payroll for multiple reasons. Suspension is one of them. Termination, another. A cancellation of a retirement, as well as a disability denial accounts where we have to remove them because they're no longer disabled. Our other processes range from re-retirement calculations to re, um, recalculation of benefits estimate of benefits, our um, active membership establishment, which is putting somebody into the system as an active member, restoring accounts with contribution and interest. We have a wide range of different types of um, duties and functions that we process on a routine basis. Wow. I see you. You guys are actually, you're in the running for busiest department at TRS. I'm, I'm not kidding you. That's a handful. It is. It's a lot that we do, and our functions a lot of times cross over into other areas where that may be their main staple. It's just a part of what we do. Okay. So what are the rules for retirees who want to return to work? Individuals who want to return to work can return to work in different capacities, and it really does depend on what type of employment they're trying to perform. Um, for part-time employment, as long as the individual is working in a capacity that's less than 49% or less than um, the full-time compensation and the full-time schedule for the position, that will allow them to receive an approval from us for working in a part-time capacity, as well as salary limits. We, we also have to um, acknowledge the salary limits just based on the law. And each individual have their own salary limit based on their compensation that they earn at retirement that we will calculate once we receive an employment verification for their account. Okay, I see. Go ahead. No, go right ahead. Yes, uh, we have multiple different types of employment. So it's kind of hard to sum that one up um, because the rules are different for each type of employment. Full time has its own set of rules. Temporary has its own set of rules, substitute, and so on, and especially contractual employment with independent contracting, which definitely ha- um, those employees cannot 
Well, they're not regular employees. They can't be deemed a regular employee of, the, of that system. And the role that they perform their contractual duties up under cannot be a regular employment role that the system normally hires regular employees for. Understood. So does the one-month break apply to only TRS-covered employment? Okay, a better way to say that is that the one-month break applies to all employment up under a TRS employer. So that TRS-covered employer, once the retiree accepts employment with them, they must adhere to the one-month break. There are small exceptions to this rule. One example is a person who retires from a local board of education system, and they go to work with a board of regents employer or a technical institute employer. If that retiree is eligible for full-time employment and enrolls in employee's retirement system or in the optional retirement plan up under the Board of Regents, then that individual does not have to take a one-month break for that type of employment. But for everything else, there's a one-month break that is required just based on the way that the law is written. I see. What what would happen if a retiree, you know, what would happen if they violated that one-month break in service? Well, if the retiree violates the one-month break in service, then their retirement date has to be modified. They will also incur an overpayment. Either the employer or the retiree has to pay it back, as well as um, that they still have to take a one-month break at that point in time. So it's a potential to move that retirement date back a lot further than what that person really wanted if they, if they are continuing employment because they still have to honor the one month break. So according to the law, the person has to have a, a severance from their employment with the employer. And if they don't adhere to the one month break, then there's not a severance there. Well, I know our listeners have heard me say this on more than one occasion. Once I'm retired, I don't want anything. I don't want absolutely anything hindering my retirement when I do it. So I would imagine that folks are extra careful uh, with regard to doing all they have to do to not have their uh, retirement interrupted, per se. Yes, I would say that, you know, 99, 98% of the cases, retirees are definitely vigilant about the one-month break, um, but there are ones that do, they, they occur. Um, but we want to make sure that people don't incur these penalties as well as the overpayment as well. If you change a person's retirement date, it's a potential for them to miss out on COLA cycles, which can have an ongoing or a, a comprehensive impact on their retirement benefits for the long haul. Very true. Very true. So what is a pre-existing agreement and how does TRS know if it's been violated or not? A pre-existing agreement is really just a verbal or written agreement that a person is coming back to work with that particular employer, whatever TRS-covered employer, actually. If a retiree engages in this type of conversation with an employer prior to them terminating their employment with them and retiring, then that is considered a pre-arranged agreement. And if they violate the prearranged agreement, it's very similar to the one month break where they're not allowed to retire at that period of time. Um, it, it could incur penalties such as overpayments or moving retirement dates as well. 
Who is responsible for reporting return to work to TRS? The employer is responsible for reporting all employment to TRS. However, there is a caveat to this. Disability retirees. Our disability retirees can work with private sector employers, and all of that employment must be reported to TRS as well. And so, therefore, our disability retirees have to report it. What kind of employment requests do you receive the most from retirees? The most, we, we get part-time, part-time employment the most, um, and then probably a close second is substitute employment. Those kind of go hand in hand. So let's switch gears to re-retirement. What exactly is re-retirement? A re-retirement is a person who has retired before and they want to come out of retirement and they want to come back into active membership, which is in a capacity of 50% or greater. And we consider that as full-time employment for us where the person can accrue additional service credit. So this individual will, will work uh, full-time and contribute to the system just as our regular members are contributing. They will receive service credit. They have to have a minimum of four months in order for them to re-retire. And throughout that process, they have to submit an online application for, re- for re-retirement just as a person who's just retiring for the first time. So they go through the whole procedure of submitting all of their documentation and signing off on a new application for them to retire. And we calculate their benefit. We will recalculate their benefit based on this additional service that's rendered during this period of re-employment. What would happen in an instance if an individual could not work the required time? What would be the consequence to that? If a person cannot meet the obligation of the four months, then we will consider their time as being suspended instead of re- instead of terminated. We will reinstate their benefits at the exact amount that they were receiving beforehand. They would not get service credit for that time frame that they were employed, and they would not get retirement benefits for that time that they were employed either. So um, it's almost like just being in a suspended state, which is another option for people to um, to take. Well, can a person who re-retires purchase service or take a plot? Yes, they can. So a person who is who will be a re-retiree has all of the same rights and, and uh, regulations that's for an active member. So they can engage in purchasing service as well as taking a plot. It's just that for re-retirees, if they do not pay back their retirement benefits, the plop is only on the active membership. It's not across the board, across all of their years of service. So a person who um, chooses to purchase service, they would go through the same process of requesting a cost calculation that we would provide either from member services or from our, or from the working at the retirement area. And that individual would have the same allotted timeframes to pay it back. And all payments have to be uh, performed before the person retires again. Okay. A minute ago, you mentioned uh, the suspended state, if you will. Relative to suspended retirement and terminating, what is terminating versus suspended retirement? Well, termination is, um, as I've just mentioned, where they become active members again. They contribute to the system and accrue service credit, whereas suspension is really a person putting their retirement on hold. 
So it's in a limbo state where there's no cost of living increases, no adjustments or anything. They can't choose another um, beneficiary. They can't choose another retirement plan or any of those options that a person would have up under a termination where they're electing everything all over again. So suspension is literally just holding that retirement benefit on, on hold for the time frame that the person comes back to work. They will not contribute to teacher's retirement during that period of time. They will not accrue service credit. There is no recalculation of benefits. They cannot purchase service and they can't go back and take like a plop or anything like that. Okay, let's talk about TRS employment. Can a disability retiree work after retirement? Yes, a disability retiree can work at the retirement. There are certain limitations, though, and specifically salary limitations. Um, we don't have a time frame limitation, such as the number of hours other than our part-time hourly employees um, ab abiding by those restrictions. But the disability retiree must submit their employment to teacher's retirement so we can determine what their salary limit is and determine whether or not they are within the guidelines to continue to receive their retirement benefits while working. Um, also, there are restrictions related to the disability in and of itself. If they were disabled from a certain type of job based on their disability, then um, we can request that they go back through the re-exam process to see if that person is still disabled in that capacity, um, if, especially if this is going to be something that'll be a full-time position or ongoing position. What is non-TRS covered employment versus TRS covered employment? So our non-TRS covered employment is really private employment when we talk about, especially when we talk about disability. So an individual who goes and work for any private entities such as Target, Walmart, or the healthcare system, anything that's not covered under, t under um, the state of Georgia, they pretty much, is, that is considered non-TRS covered. However, the state of Georgia can be uh, um, an option as well that's not non-covered when you're talking about regular state employment, such as working for a Department of Human Services, such as DFACS. A, an individual can leave a TRS covered role and go to work with them and elect not to contribute to TRS. And so therefore it's not TRS covered, it's up under a different retirement plan. The differences between what's covered and what's not really does depend on the entity and what they're offering for when it comes to the retirement plan and how many years of service our retiree may have. Would you mind sharing some examples of direct versus indirect TRS covered employment with our listeners? Sure, definitely. Direct versus indirect is really based on independent contracts. So independent contracts are individuals who are working with an entity to provide services to them that is not up under a regular employee role and does not go through their regular payroll system. They're really paid based on invoices that they submit to the employer and the employer um, pays them at, at that point in time, usually like once a month and sometimes quarterly. Um, and sometimes in one lump sum for that whole entire time frame that they are working for them when the range of services provided. The 
direct is when the independent contractor is directly engaged with the employer uh, with a one-on-one contractual agreement. Whereas indirect is when a there's a subcontractor that is working up under the main contract. Um, so there's a, like a third party there. That company or individual is providing services to that TRS covered employer and um, is still considered up under our salary limitations and our um, policies that dictate the restrictions regarding independent contracting. Okay, very well. Does TRS have a policy on a retiree who volunteers? No, we don't have a a policy, but we can say that volunteering is always a good thing for people to do, but just be mindful of how laws are written um, based on the IRS regulations and Department of Labor regulations. Um, Like, for instance, a person who volunteers their services to help out with um, possibly tutoring some students, that's allowable. But if you're volunteering to be a teacher, a teacher is not allowed to the role itself. Volunteer for um, expanded time frames as a teacher. Once you start going into that, then you're looking at regular employment for those individuals. So you have to be mindful. That's the same tr- is true also for teachers when it comes to independent contracting. There's very it's these little small little tidbits of rules here and there that make those type of options a little bit harder to um, to maneuver in between. However, volunteering is okay. We always caution just to make sure that it is volunteering and there is not any type of exchanging of services or funds or um, any other type of offerings to the individual who's providing the volunteering services. Okay. What's the difference between part-time salary and part-time hourly employment? Well, part-time salary is, it represents individuals who are paid a salary and it doesn't fluctuate. They're paid the same salary throughout the the year, whether it's monthly or whether it's semi-monthly, it's the same compensation all throughout the year. Whereas a part-time hourly is based on on the hourly wage and that individual's um, compensation will fluctuate based on the number of hours that they work. And each month and generally fluctuates from one month to the next as far as the number of hours within that month that you can work. So their pay will fluctuate. You you will see it go up and down um, throughout the time frame that they're employed. Well, can someone work multiple part-time employments? Is that allowable? Well, they can't work multiple part-time employments with an employ with the same employer, but they can work multiple part-time employments with separate employers, meaning that they can work 49% with employer A and then go to employer B and work another part-time employment. I see. Okay. What's the difference between a classroom aide and a paraprofessional? The classroom aide is an old term that's actually in the law where the um, classroom aide is in the classroom assisting the teacher with performing duties of of, um, assisting students of teaching and possibly doing small groups and things of that nature. So they're in the classroom. Whereas a paraprofessional can be in the classroom or outside of the classroom. We have 
different levels of paraprofessionals throughout the school systems where they work at. They can uh, work in in a classroom, but um, a lot of them also work as technical paraprofessionals. They work as media specialist paraprofessionals. There are even office paraprofessionals. So those individuals are limited to 49% versus what a classroom aide is. A classroom aide can work up to less than full time in a classroom setting, receive pay without jeopardizing their retirement benefits, whereas a paraprofessional is limited to 49% if they are a retiree. Okay. A little while ago, a short while ago, you talked a little bit about independent contractors. Relative to TRS, what, what is required for those independent contractors? Well, TRS requires that the employer send over the contract, the full contract for us to review. The contract must have the date range in which the retiree um, plans to provide the services to the employer. The employer and the retiree must sign off on the contract and date it. It also has to have the amount of compensation that's exchanged for the services provided. The scope of service must be detailed enough um, for us to identify what type of employment it is, as well as just how the payment will be paid. Those are the requirements that we have for the independent contracting as far as what we review. The individual cannot work in a regular position that's normally paid through payroll. What is the policy for retirees returning to work as an adjunct professor? Individuals who return to employment and work in the capacity of an adjunct is allowable up under technical institutes as well as the Board of Regents employers. And there is a little bit of a difference, though, between the two. The Board of Regents um, adjuncts that come through are individuals who are usually um, paid a stipend for their services, a low stipend for their services, and they are providing some sort of research and things of that nature. They're, they're a little bit different from their part-time professors as what they deem as part-time professors. So they, the, the adjuncts can work unlimited because their pay is so low, as well as they don't um, really um, teach in a classroom per se. They're usually doing research and things of that nature. Whereas the adjunct in the technical institute are literally part-time instructors or part-time professors, then they are limited to 49% period. And as well as the part-time professors up under the Board of Regents, those are limited to 49%. Okay. One more question before we wrap it up. If a member has a question about a position that doesn't fall into any of the job categories we've spoken about today, should that member contact our office? Oh, definitely. We always recommend the employer or the retiree contact us regarding any employment that they um, look forward to engaging in um, and ask us to make sure that it's um, eligible as well as to make sure that they're not going into any type of situation that may jeopardize their retirement benefits. So they can always contact our office and, and we will go over any scenario that they may have. Very well. Christy, thank you so much again for taking time out of your busy schedule to stop by and uh, record with the podcast today. I know the information you shared today is going to be very helpful to a lot of our members. It's always helpful to me, especially during the interviews. I, I'm amazed at how much I learn and uh, discover as I'm doing them. 
I want you to know that I really appreciate you taking the time to do so today. Oh, it was my pleasure, Everett. This is always an honor for me to be able to exchange information and provide people with the details that they're looking for. So it was always a pleasure. Thank you so much. As you can see, regardless of the reason for doing so, working after retirement is very common amongst many of today's retirees. Whether it is for extra money, health benefits, insurance benefits, or just to keep from being bored, working after retirement is a very good option here in Georgia. And with the passing of House Bill 385, even more of Georgia's educators and former educators are doing just that. We hope that you enjoyed the show today and we hope that you are even more empowered to navigate your road to, through, or maybe even back from your retirement. If you would like to share your feedback, comments, or questions, you can reach us at podcast at trsga.com. That's podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T at trsga.com. And by all means, share our podcast with your family and friends. Join us next time. For TRS, your retirement in focus.